Welcome to I Care Healthcare, a health advocacy podcast with Catherine and the guests I interview. I challenge you who will advocate for you when you have to deal with a healthcare system? Answering that question may be more difficult than it seems. This podcast will introduce you to the kinds of health advocacy people in the field have worked with and may even stimulate you to take action to better your own healthcare situation. Remember, An informed patient is an empowered patient. An empowered patient gets better care, period. Today, I am very happy to be talking with Marisa Pasquini, who is a dementia care expert, author, and founder of the National Home Care Academy, which offers training for professional and family caregivers so that the caregiver and the person in their care can, quote, thrive through dementia, unquote. Welcome, Marisa. You know, that sounds counterintuitive to thrive through dementia. How did you develop that concept? Well, personally, in my own work as a caregiver, I, I had times when I wasn't thriving and times when I actually was thriving. So people who are caring for a person with dementia have a choice to make, and that is to thrive or not. Now, I do believe that caregivers need support. They need education and training so that they can deal with the specific challenges of caring for a person with dementia and then thrive through it. So I guess bottom line is I say I I feel like thriving is a choice. No matter what situation in life we are in, we can choose to thrive. We can't necessarily do it alone, but we can thrive and get the support to do so. I like that viewpoint because I agree with it. It is a choice, and we can make what we, the best of whatever situation we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, what led you into this field? Well, for about 12 years or so, I've been working with clients with dementia. And I had a particular client who taught me how to be a caregiver. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Yes. So the way she did that was by exhibiting every single behavior that people talk (laughs) about when they have um, a person with dementia in their life, Uh, repetitive behavior, um, anxiety, um, negative sort of angry outbursts, things like that. Mm -hmm. And there were times when I would get into my car at the end of the day and scream. Oh, heavens. Yeah. So I don't know that I was thriving at that point, but I knew I had a choice to make, and I I really wanted to stick with this person because I loved her, and I Mm. wanted to provide really good care for her. And so I started getting trained myself, and I would um, find out, how do I prevent these behaviors? What else can I do? And I read and I went to support groups and um, called the Alzheimer's Association and did some of their trainings. And I learned how to be with her. And then I observed other caregivers um, in facilities and other caregivers that I worked with who didn't have those skills because once I got them, It Mm -hmm. felt like the right thing to do. It just felt natural to do these things. But when I noticed that others weren't necessarily having these um, skills or really it's training, Mm -hmm. 
I formalized the training myself and began teaching it to others. And that's what led me to write the book and, you know, do the do all of this is my own experience. And then I also interviewed a lot of, of caregivers when I wrote my book, which validated that these are the challenges that dementia caregivers face. That is such a moving story. Um, you end your book with a wonderful close that I'd like to read to our readers now, our listeners now. You say, we can create better lives for people with dementia and Alzheimer's through communication, compassion, and love. After all, love is the answer. I, I do. I believe that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little teary there because I do believe that. And I know that that made a difference for the people that I've cared for um, is is really loving them through this situation. And when they feel that and they know Mm -hmm. that they're loved just exactly the way they are, that Mm -hmm. makes all the difference. Uh, That's very profound. And I think it's not something caregivers and family caregivers think of first when I think of how do I deal Mm -hmm. with this person with dementia and what's going to happen in the future the fears that come up absolutely and and we get so caught up in who the person used to be and expecting them to still be that way and that's why uh you know we were going to get into this a little bit about the new Mm -hmm. reality rules and it's really about knowing that the person is in a new reality and you're not going to force them back into the old one. That part of the book that you've written really, really um, emphasized for me how little I actually knew about how to work with and care Mm. for and love my friend with dementia. Mm -hmm. And in the new reality rules, there were two of the three that really struck home. The first, of course, was be empathic mm-hmm. and basically love them is how I read that. Right. But or learned that. But uh, I was interested in rule number two: make them right. Make them right. Yes. So there is. Um, I'm going to give you an example. Sure. So there's somebody that um, I'm working with now, whose whose partner went to a restaurant, got himself something to eat. And then um, came back home and she said, so where, you know, where'd you eat? And he said, oh, I went to McDonald's and I got a burrito. And she said, you couldn't have gotten a burrito at McDonald's. They don't make burritos. I went to McDonald's and I got a burrito. So it ended up in a, I don't think it was a, a big, a big problem, mm-hmm. but this is a really good example of how you can just make the person right. If they say they went to McDonald's and got a burrito, oh, wow, how was it? There's wow. no need to even question it. Because really, in the bigger scheme of things, does it matter? No. Is, is this going to matter tomorrow that they said they went to McDonald's and got a burrito? No. In the bigger picture, what you want to do is have a smooth, you know, a smooth day. You want to offer the person sort of that moment-by-moment feeling of acceptance. And -hmm. that's what making them right is all about. It's having them feel accepted for however they are right in the moment. So my rules really do all, they all fit together. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to give another example of that because I feel like 
let me just ask you this. Sure. It sounds as though you, what you're saying is do not confront the person with the reality, actual reality of the situation. Right. But empower them by mm-hmm. joining in their reality. Yes. And ha- helping them maintain whatever the function they have. Exactly. So that is the point, is to step into the reality with them. If they went to McDonald's and got a burrito, then, then, that's, what, then that's what they did. There's no need to, to argue or to try and convince them a different way. And you had another example, you said. Yes. So um, I had a client that used to tell me that I left her. She used to say, you left me. And she was very, uh, obviously very upset about this. Well, I never left her. I had never, I never left her, ever. So I had to learn, first of all, for the, the first rule is to mm-hmm. validate and empathize with her emotions. So if someone feels like they've been left, maybe they feel scared, maybe they feel unsafe, and they're probably mad about it if that's r- truly mm-hmm. what they believe, right? Mm-hmm. So rather than saying to her, because at first I would say, I never left you, I would never leave you. Instead, I would apologize for leaving. Oh, how could I ever leave you? I am so sorry I left you, and it will never happen again. Uh And I always want you to feel safe. That's what I would say to her. Mm. And when she would hear that, she, she got that I got what she was feeling, right? She got that I knew that she didn't feel safe. So you went to what you knew was the emotion behind, the fear behind her upset. Exactly. Now, I also made her right because I didn't contradict her anymore. Mm -hmm. So I used that rule as well. I made her right. She was right. I was wrong. I apologized. And that Mm -hmm. would always settle the situation. And when I didn't do that, Mm -hmm. things would escalate. So... I knew that 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 worked. Your third rule says lie, mm-hmm. basically. Can you explain that a little bit more? Well, there's there's several ways of doing this. I was just meeting with someone before I got here mm-hmm. who he and his wife go to church on Sundays together. Well, one Sunday, he was tired. He had a lot going on, and he didn't want to go to church, so he didn't mention that today was Sunday and it was the day that they go to church. That was lying in, in, this, in this rule. That's mm-hmm. one um, aspect of it, mm-hmm. that it's lying by omission. So he left that out because that was self-care for him to not go to church, and it's not really that important for them to, to, do, to go to church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And his wife wasn't asking to go to church. So the next level of this is... If the wife asked to go to church mm-hmm. and the caregiver simply couldn't do it that day, mm-hmm. lying to a person with dementia by saying, oh, there's no church today. We'll go next time. So again, it's a, it's a practice of self-care mm-hmm. to use lies that don't hurt the person with dementia. I want to give one other example of this. I met a client whose um, wife was in memory care, and he was not. And he would go and visit her every day. And when he would go to leave, he would have a lot of resistance. Where are you going? Take me with you. I don't want you to leave. So there were two ways that he lied. One thing he would do is he would say, 
I'm going to take the trash out. And then he would take the trash out. She would get involved with her caregiver and with an activity. And then he would leave. And she wouldn't know he was leaving permanently, but he would go. He'd come back a few hours later. And then she wouldn't have, she didn't even know he was gone because she was involved in something else. Mm -hmm. So that's one way of lying. And I want to go into that too about tracking. I think people, when they're caring for someone with dementia, they believe that the person is tracking time and tracking their absence and that kind of thing and they they aren't necessarily doing that again each person is different Mm -hmm. but for the most part people with dementia are not tracking that stuff so if you say I'm going to go take out the trash they're not looking for you well you said you were taking out the trash and you've been gone for three hours that's not going to happen because they're very much in the present moment And so the goal is to make each present moment a peaceful and joyful one, which isn't that that's a perfectionist kind of statement. (laughs) It sounds extremely (laughs) difficult to do in reality. Right. However. But for the most part, you can you can do that if you um, are willing to be in their world with them. So that's one way to lie is to say I'm taking out the trash and Mm -hmm. and not come back for three hours after you've gone and done your thing. The other way is to have them get involved in an activity and then you just leave and you don't say goodbye. It sounds as though one of the things you're really speaking to is are the transitions that the person with dementia has to ride out, mm-hmm. the leaving, the coming, the change of routine. Yes. And I, that- yes, that's exactly it. And again, I think that this is... Um, It's a person by person, you know, there's nuances to each person, Mm -hmm. right? Because I have a client right now who at transition time, and this is, this is typical at transition time, people get, you know, they get more anxious, Mm -hmm. but because of her personality and where she's at on the spectrum of dementia, she's still looking to control this situation and she does have Uh, she has mechanisms for it so mm -hmm. she asks to say who's coming next who's coming next and then okay so and so's coming next okay okay then she calls her daughter and then she usually feels better so she has mechanisms herself to soothe herself but um during that during that transition period it is it's there's heightened anxiety Depending on their personality, too, let me just add a little bit. Depending on their personality, they will either be be able to tolerate the yes. transitions or, or, or have not to have help with yes. adapting to exactly. the transition. Exactly, oh. right. Yeah. It sounds so demanding for the caregivers in the sense that you really have to think through what that specific person at that specific stage in their dementia process needs and Um, can be supported with. Yes, I totally agree with that. And that's why I guess I advocate for not a lot of caregivers, you know, Mm -hmm. on a team. If if people are planning a team of caregivers, the fewer people that they can have on that team, the better. Because then everybody gets familiar with the person. It's not someone coming in cold that doesn't know the person and starts saying things or doing things that trigger the person. Um, Having that concise team of of players Mm -hmm. really supports everybody. It supports the caregivers. 
the person in the care and it if it's you know at a home situation it supports the family because the family has more peace of mind that's one thing I had wondered about um, do you find in many situations that it's uh, say a spouse taking care caretaking for an, a spouse most of the um, families that I work with it's a widowed parent mm-hmm. and the children are taking care uh. but I have worked with several couples um, and it, there's a just a spectrum of situations that happen with that because for a family caregiver no matter who the the loved one is if it's your parent if it's your child I mean there I've worked with people that are have younger onset and so the elderly parents are sort of managing the child situation or a partnership there's grief it's different depending on the relationship but um, I'm really feeling right now that when it's a partner and Mm -hmm. when when one is caring for the other partner it's much harder because they're giving up the person that Ah. they had plans and dreams with you know they have to let that person go and be in this in this caregiver role with someone who used to be someone that supported them you know in a relationship with them which was more equal right exactly and now they're not the person that the uh, caregiver thought they would be right hmm. so they look to their future and they there's more dread there there's there's more fear of what's going to happen to my life, you mm-hmm. know, as this person goes away. So people deal with that all, in all different kinds of ways, but that's a that's I guess that that hits my heart when I when I recognize that with a couple. I cannot imagine the depth of the grief that some a caregiver spouse must have as mm-hmm. his or her loved one um goes through the dementia process yes and I think you know my coaching is always to try and stay present and not get too caught up in the future you know Mm -hmm. deal with today and there's um there's a book called creating moments of joy or something like that Mm -hmm. and I always tell them you know create a moment of joy every day something that can anchor what that what's happening right now isn't the totality of the experience. You know, that there's still these moments of connection, of laughter, of sharing an experience or something like that. So that as you look back mm-hmm. on this whole process that you've had those, those joyful moments, the moments that will carry you through. You talk about training caregivers. Mm-hmm. What kinds of, what would you tell the, a caregiver First, in terms of, say, they're just new to the process, uh-huh. they're new to caring for a person who's just been diagnosed with some form of dementia. I would say thank you because you are doing something that's very difficult. And even with the emotions that come with it, you can do it. And I would also say get support. Oh, that is such a strong (laughs) message because I don't think caregivers hear that very often. I don't either. It's such a thankless job and such a, there's an expectation of it and people try and, you know, others can, 
avoid the situation. You know, there's all kinds of responses to a dementia diagnosis. I met a group who are, it was four couples, and one of the partners in each couple has dementia. They met through a support group, and then they liked each other so much that they started their own little group, Mm -hmm. social group. Mm Mm-hmm. And they called themselves the Crazy Eights, <laughs> which I loved. I thought uh-huh. it was so great. But they actually, I mean, and I, I say this sometimes, that if you can view it as a beginning and not an end, you know, it's a transition. But if it's a beginning of something new, there's less fear and sadness around it. And stigma, too, I assume. Absolutely. Really got to be... A part of a person's psyche. I know certainly with me, when Mm -hmm. I found out, when I knew my friend was developing short-term memory loss and some impairments, I thought, oh no, it's going to be this, this, and this. And of course it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And when I took your course Mm -hmm. on that six-week, how to how to love the person with dementia. Right. And I was a friend, not a caregiver, but it really taught me a lot about just watching behavior and supporting that behavior. And my friend relaxes a lot around me when I'm with him. Yeah. I think for that reason. I'm not telling him to do something. You know, it's just we go with whatever's in front of us. Right. And I think that is the key to successfully caring for a person with dementia. And, And, you know, as a family caregiver, it's probably more difficult not probably I'm doing this with my mom not Mm -hmm. uh, full-time by any means she has somebody that takes care of her but Mm -hmm. I'm an advocate for that too that the more support a family can have the more joy that they'll have in the relationship with the person when you talk about support what do Mm -hmm. you mean concretely well it's what does the person need if they need 24-hour care does the family want to provide that or does the family want to find somebody else to do that 24-hour care so that the family can still have their mother or their father or their partner? Mm-hmm. So do what you have to do so that you can still have the relationship intact with the person as much as possible. Let's talk about advocacy for a moment. Mm-hmm. How do you advocate for the people with dementia for whom and the caregivers, mm-hmm. um, how do you advocate, I guess I'm trying to say, for the people with dementia with the caregivers? Right. So I was looking at that question earlier today, and I guess my, my belief about it is that if I am the caregiver, I advocate for the person in my care. Mm. So there's times when a family want something that the the person with dementia can't just cannot do. I worked with families who, okay, we want her to exercise this much every day. We want her to eat these foods every day. And that was, you know, anybody who knows somebody with dementia, you can try and force them to do things, but it's not necessarily going to work out well. <laughs> so... And, I'm a, and I am definitely an advocate for healthy eating and exercise and all that kind of thing. So what I would do is if it was walking, you know, go mm-hmm. take a walk. That's always a good, 
a good activity with a person with dementia anyway, even if they can't walk, getting them outdoors and into mm-hmm. the fresh air and all that kind of stuff. So, um, change of scene occurs yeah, to too. Yeah. And looking at the birds and listening to the sounds and, you know, all those things are good. But if it came to a point where it was, you know, this is what, this is what we require, mm-hmm. it was like, well, I'm not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I needed to stand up for myself and for the person in my care to the family. So if I'm, if I'm caring for a caregiver, then my focus is on the caregiver. Because if something happens to the caregiver, the person in their care is in trouble. The caregiver should have support, the caregiver should have respite, and the caregiver should have the freedom to make decisions for their life that, um, that help them to still have a life, to thrive. Because a lot of people will say, well, I promised my mom I would never put her in a home. And at a certain point in dementia, that, that promise has to be weighed out with what is the cost and it sounds like you're not talking simply about financial costs. You're talking about the cost to the caregiver and his or her life. And health. And yes. Health. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there's there's plenty of people that um, keep their parent and ho- at home and do it themselves. I hope and pray that they go to support groups or they um, have some respite care so that they can still be a person themselves. And there's people that make a choice to place their parent, their loved one, into a facility. And um, there's no guilt around that. There's no shame around that, you know. Even if that was, that was the promise I made to my mom. I promised my mom, you know. Well, things change. And then decisions need to be made. What would you recommend in terms of advocating for either the caregiver or the person with dementia in dealing with professionals, say doctors or right. other healthcare professionals? That's, this is a really good question. I've been in that circumstance where I was with my client at a doctor's appointment and needing to translate is the only way I can put it. And I don't know if you, I'm curious if you find that in your own work, I'm sure you do, where you're sort of the, you're translating what the doctor is saying to your client. But anyway that that came up plenty of times where the the doctor doesn't understand either they're saying too many words um they're asking questions that the person cannot answer and then there's a um there's a way to to communicate so that the person in the room still feels respected and that the answer is given to the doctor because the doctor needs to know the answer in my advocacy experience, I also find myself translating. Often it's translating what the person the, wants oh. the doctor to know because right. the way doctors communicate and the way a lot of patients, especially I think women, communicate can be very different. Right. Recently I had a client who needed to talk about some additional information or wanted some additional information about the situation she was in. And the doctor just expected her exam to be a routine in and out. So I stopped the doctor and I said, five minutes, three questions. And because my Mm. client wasn't able to articulate those questions quickly, 
I did that, but each question I had the doctor answer, I checked with my client to make sure that she understood and didn't have follow-up questions. It worked out. The doctor gave us the information that was necessary, and I think my client was quite satisfied that she got what she had hoped to get, the basics of what she had hoped to get out. But you know how hard it can be for both professional and for a patient or for caregiver or patient. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good that you that you let the doctor know that you're only going to take five more minutes. It's going to be three questions. It's so good. Such a good method because we know that doctors can be busy and they have a certain amount of time that they want to spend. But mm-hmm. so when they know that you're going to respect their time, that's a great strategy. Yeah, I mostly um, would, I, I felt like I served as a translator. So doctor mm-hmm. would ask a question. I'd look at my client, could tell that my client didn't understand what was being said, so I would turn to my client and say, hmm, I think, I think Dr. So-and-so wants to know this. Oh, and then she could respond. And so there were times when I filled in information as the caregiver, um, but I would always ask permission. You that know? sounds so very respectful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's What it says to me, the message I'm hearing is that the person with dementia is a person who deserves love, respect, and care, even as difficult as it can be in different stages of the process of mm-hmm. uh, dementia. Yes. And that you're very good about respecting the person you care for and respecting the caregiver, too, I think. Yes, yeah. I do. I want the caregivers to, I want them to have support so that, the parts of dementia that you can enjoy, they actually enjoy. Because mm-hmm. people with dementia, they say some funny things. And if they, like I'll give an example with my mom, um, who has short-term memory loss uh, related to a stroke. And especially when she was first recovering, she would see, you know, if I came to visit, oh, Marisa, so you're here, you're here. And mm-hmm. then if I walked out of the room and came back, 30 seconds later, when did you get here? It's so good to see you, you know? So, I mean, and that was just, how sweet is that? You know, to get that kind of response over and over again. What a wonderful memory, too, to have. Absolutely. You You know, you're cared about and loved. Right. It doesn't matter where she is in her process. Exactly. Yeah. I want to mention something about my mom, too. So, I I mean, I've had a, a great relationship with my mom, throughout my life with not without its ups and downs but for the most part a good relationship my mom is a painter and she used to ask me I want to teach you to paint let me teach you let me and and I always said no no I don't want to do that I don't want to do that well now that she has dementia Mm -hmm. she actually is teaching me how to paint oh my heavens and the, I, I was thinking about this. Why is this happening now? And it's because I'm different. It's not because she's different. It's not because she has dementia. It's because I'm different. Because of these experiences and going through dementia with other people, I can allow that situation to happen. So I think that there's really interesting and uh, valuable growth that can happen by being in this circumstance. So Mm -hmm. 
these partners that are that are choosing it to be a beginning that are choosing to thrive rather than give up they can have amazing gifts that happen for themselves and for the rest of their lives so it's so exciting to hear because it's not something i would normally associate with the process of caring for a person with dementia Mm -hmm. the gifts that can come up in your example of now learning to paint with your mom it just moves me Mm -hmm. i have one last question that is what takeaway message would you like people to hear so the first thing that i want to say if if anybody that's listening is a caregiver thank you thank you for doing this because it is a very challenging road and you've chosen to be on a bit of a roller coaster by embarking on it so the first thing is thank you and no matter where you are on the spectrum of you know your patience or your frustration or the things you might be feeling just know that you are doing a good job and the second thing i want to say is get support get support join a support group get in touch with me there's plenty of books i have a book there's there are ways for you to get support so do that Marisa, it's been a great interview, and I'd love to have you come back. Is that possible? Oh, I would love it. I would love to come back. Thank you. So if people want to get into contact with you, uh, what do they need to do? So my company is called National Home Care Academy, and there's a .com after that, nationalhomecareacademy.com. If you go on the site, I have a free guide Uh, that I will email to you. It's right at the top banner of the site when you get there. Um, And then I'll have your email. There's also a place to message me there. Um, You can message me on my site, and I will get back to you. And if you have questions or if you're interested in training or coaching or just need support, let me know. I have lots of resources. You've just finished an episode of I Care Healthcare focusing on thriving through dementia with dementia care expert Marisa Pisquini, who's just given a very, very moving and uh, meaningful discussion, I think. Stay tuned for my next podcast with guests to be announced. Signing off, Catherine.